We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's the True Faith Newcastle United podcast. This podcast is a recording of a live show we did at the Stands Comedy Club on Monday the 29th of May uh, and was joined on stage by uh, friends of True Faith and all-around good guys and excellent football journalists, uh, Craig Hope, Keith Downey, Mark Douglas, Luke Edwards and George Colkin. Uh, and we've had a chat about the season just gone. A couple of things to say, and three things to say in fact. Number one, um, at the, the end of this recording, delighted to be joined by... Darren Eels, CEO at Newcastle United, and Peter Silverstone, COO at Newcastle United, uh, to talk about the season, their roles. Uh, they very kindly took a couple of questions as well from me. Uh, incredible that that people at Newcastle United are engaging at these kind of events. Um, really, really grateful to the guys for, for coming down and, and talking to us. Absolute pleasure to have them at a True Faith event. Um, there is a slight or like whirring on the, this recording. Uh, I'm sorry about that. We're relying on on the venue to to record for us at these things. Uh, I still think it's okay and listenable, but you know you have my apologies in advance for that. Uh, and finally, part two of this show is on our Patreon platform now. It's a Q and A with the audience. Uh, some really interesting questions and answers as always uh, so if you want to support this podcast come and join us on patreon it's just eight pounds a month and part two of this is already waiting for you on there uh, after you finish listening to this one so thanks everyone for being a true faith listener um, really really happy with the event last night this is a great time to be a newcastle united fan and i hope that came across in the recording um, i'll leave you now with charlotte introducing us thanks very much for listening Musical chairs to start the night. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for being here. Fourth in the league. What a season. Thank you so much for coming down on your bank holiday Monday to celebrate with us. We have a fantastic run of guests tonight to talk you through this season and beyond. We've got Alex Hurst from True Faith. Craig Hope from the Daily Mail. Keith Downey from Sky Sports. 
Mark Douglas from the iPaper. George Colkin from The Athletic. And Luke Edwards from The Daily Telegraph and The BBC. Can I, can I swap seats? Pardon? Can I swap seats? Do you just want to go home? I might get hit by the... Luke, you might, need, you might need Amanda's tub tub palace dormant tonight, I think. A little bit of housekeeping before we start. Please do make sure that your phones are off. We are being filmed this evening. Um, so uh, no filming yourselves. Thank you very much. No photographs, no flash photography. Um, I don't think you get signal down here anyway, so that works for us. Um, no smashing glasses. We were so close last time, but somebody did it right at the end. So try, try not to do it this time. And um, for uh, the second half of the show, so the first half is a, a general chat about the season so far and, and beyond. And then... Uh, the second half of the show is, as usual, a Q&A. So dotted about the room, there is paper, there are pens. Please do write down some questions. Grab me at the interval if you haven't got one and you want to ask a question. And then we will ask our lovely panel these questions um, for the second half of the show. But for now, please, a round of applause for our panel. It's the True Faith Podcast Live, and before I bring, on, bring in our esteemed guests, I have a small announcement to make. Over here to our left, we're very, very privileged to be joined by uh, Sarah Darren Eels and Peter Silverson from Newcastle United, and I just want to... I just want to take a moment to thank them because we've been doing these shows since 2017 when Newcastle United were really fucking shit. And it's just, it's just a bit surreal to be sat here on stage with all of you guys celebrating Newcastle United as the Champions League club and people from Newcastle United taking up their own spare time to come down and sit with all you and, and listen to these guys. So just once again, round of applause, not just for the guys coming, but... Their, their efforts this season into turning Newcastle United into a Champions League football club. <laughs> yeah, Keith, you've got a mic, mate. There should be enough mics, so there's one knocking around somewhere. There we go. Somewhere sorted. Get in. It's 1-0 already. Right. I'm going to start off, lads. I want to go along the panel. So we'll start with you, Craig. I just want you to sum up for the room, you guys as professionals. How has this season been covering the cast United for you? Uh, first of all, cheers, everyone. How appropriate cans, eh? <laughs> there you go. Uh, now, actually, I very nearly didn't make tonight. I've been down in London. I was at the game yesterday, and I covered the, uh, the playoff final on Saturday at Wembley with Luton. And uh, my desk in London said, can, uh, instead of going back up Newcastle today, can you go to Luton to do their uh, victory bus parade? Not really. Uh, <laughs> if I didn't have this event, I would have made up one. But I said, I've got, you know, I've got to come back. I said, you know, it's the hottest ticket in town. There's basically only this and Sam Fender people are talking about this summer. Uh, and I said that Darren Eels is going to be there and he's going to give all us guys an off-the-record briefing on, uh, on the transfer budget. So... <laughs> If I haven't got a figure tomorrow morning, Darren, I'm in trouble, so... No pressure. Uh, 
This season, it's been brilliant. It's been a privilege to, to cover. It's been incredible. And I don't want to talk for too long because there's so many different facets to it. I just want to pick one part of it as to why I think Newcastle will be playing Champions League football, and that's the manager. I think he is the overriding. Uh, Freddie. I think he's the overriding, accelerating factor that has put Newcastle United in the top four. Now, listen, generally, I don't rate managers. I, uh, <laughs> I don't think they're very good. Uh, I think the best thing about our job is we're so lucky in that, you know, we get to see behind the curtain. We get to sit from where I am to where, to where you guys are two or three times a week. And you really get to, to, to know these guys and you see the strengths, you see their weaknesses. And I think everyone will back me up on this. This fella is absolutely the real deal. He honestly really is. This idea that Eddie Howe could be Newcastle's appointment who takes them so far before they bring in a, a big-ass, sexier name is absolute nonsense. They've got the guy who can take them to the very top. They really have. I think he's, I think he's tremendous. He's, he's hard-working. He's honest. He's genuine. He's intelligent. And I know you guys love listening to him in the press conferences. You know, you're, you're proud to have him as, uh, as your manager, and so you should be. And he, for me... The improvement he's brought about in every single player, those who have come to the club, those he's inherited. I mean, you know, how on earth have, you know, Jacob Murphy, with all you know, respect, you know, Sean Longstaff, uh, Joe Linton, these players who are written off, they're now top four Champions League players. And for me, he is the reason for that. Uh, so there, there you go. Anyhow. <laughs> Keith, same question, mate. Uh, yeah, just just as you're talking there, I'm just thinking about these players. You talk about guys like Joe Linton now. He's probably worth like 60, 70 million pounds. You know, a, a year, 140. Yeah. <laughs> a, a, year, a year and a half ago, you, you probably wouldn't have got much for him at all. Almiron the same. So he's actually strengthened the, the players that are there. He's strengthened the club. It's, it's been it's been amazing to see. And I think the way he deals with us us guys as well, he's always got time for you. And he's just. Uh, he really is a pleasure to deal with. Listen, the league games this season, some of the results have obviously been amazing. There's all there's almost too many to, to, to kind of remember. I mean, the, the Man United win at home after the, the Carabao Cup final defeat was, was unbelievable. Followed up soon after with that 6-1 win against Tottenham. I had the audacity of asking Eddie Howe the day before that would a draw be a good result today. Uh, fast forward uh, sort of 23 hours and 21 minutes and it was 5-0. Was it 5-0 after 21 minutes? Um, listen, it's been amazing. For me, the highlight of the season... Um, Despite all the uh, amazing league performances and the, you know, the other night Monday last Monday against Leicester, was the the build up actually the the morning uh, early afternoon at Wembley. Um, I spent about two three hours milling around outside the stadium, speaking to fans and just trying to get a a, a sort of flavour of how people were feeling. And the emotion was just so high. It was honestly something I'll, I'll always remember. I just thought, you know, speaking to all these generations of supporters who have never been there, have never seen it, guys with their granddads and, you know, girls with their, their mums and their grandmothers and families being there and not being there with their mates because they wanted to be there with their, with their family and, and, and embrace the moment. It was, honestly, it was amazing. I, I found myself a couple of times really kind of quite close to tears because the emotion from them was kind of sort of rubbing off of me and, and I could feel it. And listen, the league's been amazing. Craig's right in what he says about Eddie and the players and the improvement, but I just the, the, the real connection between supporters and football club for me came that that day in the in the build up to the, that cup final. Obviously, it wasn't the result that any of us wanted, but 
I just feel it was fate. I just feel that wasn't Newcastle United's time. It was maybe a little bit too early. The time will come, but just for the supporters, just to get that little snapshot of what could be, what will be moving forward was just amazing to see. And that, for me, there's been some great performances, some great days, but that is the one thing I'll take from, from this, this season. I thought that day, that day in the build-up to the game, forget about the game afterwards, was uh, was just a, a real privilege to, to be there and, and to report on it. Thank you, Mark. Same question. Well, I mean... So, so you ask professionally what it's like. I think the main thing for me, I kind of, I kind of looked around the press room on uh, Monday, and it was packed on Monday. And, and I remember sort of so many games for Newcastle at the end of the season where they weren't in relegation fight, where nobody cared, and you know nationally they weren't a story. So for us as journalists, you know, this patch was dying when uh, before this takeover happened. You know, people were talking, people were fearful for their jobs, or they were worried about having to get um, shunted out to Yorkshire or other places. You know, because um, Newcastle were in the Premier League, Sunderland still in the Championship, um, Middlesbrough nowhere. So for us professionally, to become the hot ticket, to know that a Newcastle United line can get you on the back page. People are interested in interviews that we can do as well. Uh, so for us, professionally, it has changed everything. It's got me the job that I'm in now because I don't think they would have employed somebody uh, in Newcastle before because they would have said, oh, we need somebody in Manchester. But now they can see that the northeast Newcastle is the coming story and they kind of want somebody here. They want somebody who's going to be able to tell that story because they know that this is this is probably the biggest story in terms of the top four this season because everybody knew Manchester were in the league. Um, Manchester United, a bit of a story, but you know, is it, is it anything compared to this? So it has professionally been absolutely fantastic to see. I'm sure these guys will all say the same. The club have been helpful. I remember the day after the takeover happened, I had um, Lee Marshall, the press officer, sort of ring me up and suddenly say, so look, have you got any ideas for things you'd like to do with the club? And I was like, I had to check it was the, the, the right number. I thought somebody was taking a piss. I thought it was Craig putting on, a, putting on a, a, an accent, but it was it was brilliant. And I think... That phone call sort of summed up the whole attitude of the club this year. You know, they've been much more helpful. I think they know that they've got a really good story to tell and they want to, and they want to tell it as well. So it has been a pleasure. And I think gate and match days have been events you've wanted to be involved. I think, you know, it doesn't matter who they're playing. If you're not covering that game, you're gutted. You'd rather be here than anywhere else in the country as a, as a kind of Northern football correspondent. This is the big story. Um, so it has been an absolute pleasure. And I think I just want to mention, you know, these guys mentioned Eddie Howe me the thing that has been so impressive and we're kind of thinking about it on the on the taxi over because we were talking about Anthony Gordon um, and how I do think he's going to come good by the way I think he's really good the recruitment since these people um, have taken over the club and since this ownership has taken over the club has been absolutely exceptional Bruno Gomeras Sven Botman Alexander Isaac I mean how much would they cost you this summer as opposed to what they cost you last summer. I still can't believe that Isaac came in for the amount of money that they spent for him. What a signing he is going to be. Everybody's talking about Harry Kane, um, 100 million this summer. I honestly think Isaac could be a 150 million pound footballer as recent, as soon as maybe next season, if he scores the amount of goals we think he's going to do this season. So for me, it's been the recruitment and it's also just been an absolute pleasure to, to cover Newcastle this season. And, um, so thank you guys for what you've managed to do to the club already. Yeah, I mean, personally, professionally, those lines have blurred for me so much this season. Um, 
I feel like I've fallen in love again, I think, to be honest. Um, I was in the away end at Chelsea yesterday and I was writing about that, but I was there because I wanted to be as well. And that five minutes, ten minutes after the match, where it just felt like we were rinsing every single second out of this season and I didn't want it to end. And if I think back to two years ago, three years ago, I didn't want seasons to start. <laughs> um, You're laughing, but I'm being serious. And I think we all had a we all we all had that sense that something that we were connected to umbilically was fraying and was snapping and we were losing something and the club was withering in front of us and it was dying in front of us. And as much as you as fans, we as journalists, tried to explain that to the world, nobody was fucking listening. And um, I think one of the things that I've loved so much about this season is that, and I'm sure we'll come on to, to talk about the manager in greater depth, is that he's recognised something about us as a, as, a, as a team, as a club, as a region, a city, that I think we'd forgotten, because we'd had it kind of beaten out of us a bit, that there is a power in saying fuck you to the rest of the world. And uh, I hope people don't mind me swearing, because um, I'm, I'm going to. And there is, you know, that, that, that this idea of being liked and being popular that he's talked about so eloquently is a nonsense. And people, you know, people ignored us during the Ashley era's, uh, era. We were ignored and we were patronised and he's recognised this about us and the team have played with this kind of amazing rage and ferocity. And as it's gone on, I mean, my, my touchstone season, seasons will always be 92, 93, 93, 94 under Keegan, just because the electricity around the city, the football being played, but it's the same now. It is the same now. It's not the same football. There is a bit more pragmatism to it. They know how to win matches. They know how not to lose matches. But the aggression, the front foot style, all the rest of it, um, I think this team have been incredible. I think they'll be remembered forever, and I'll remember this season forever. I think it's arguably my favourite ever. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. What was the question again? How has this season, can you sum up this season for our audience from a professional perspective? Um, yes. Yes, I can. Um, as someone who's not from this region um, or from this city and moved here, well, I basically came up here because of Kevin Keegan's Newcastle. I came to Newcastle University because something awakened in my imagination about this city um, and it was all to do with my love of football and I fell in love with the city and it is a, a region of the country that gets ignored. As George had just said, it gets patronised, it gets mocked. Um, and what this football club has done in very, very powerfully and very, very emotionally is given this city its pride back and it's given its pride back to its people as well. And the, the city feels different. And I don't think there's another place in the UK where it is quite as powerful as it is in Newcastle. Um, and it's been a pleasure to be a part of And I fell in love with the region. Um, I wasn't in love with the football club. I wasn't in love with my job. I had ummed and ahed about whether to move down to Manchester Um was been under a little bit of pressure to do so from work. Um, we stayed for family reasons. And it's given me my love of football back, as George has said there. It's given me a love of my job back. I'm fucking exhausted. I'm really, really tired. And I do want a break. Um, but it's been an exhilarating season. And, and you know, there's not much more I can add to, to, to what the other guys said here. Eddie Howe is a genius. And I don't use that word lightly. Um, he's probably the best manager and bearing in mind, I started my journalistic career with Bobby um, Robson, who was a hero of mine as childhood. I think he is the best manager I've worked with or for or covered uh, in my 21 years covering Newcastle United and, and, and North East football. I think he's absolutely brilliant. I think he's got the perfect personality to manage the club. He hates praise. He hates celebrity life. He doesn't want to be spotted. He doesn't want to be adulated. He just wants to work, but he instinctively gets what the people of this city are about and what the football club is about. And people have talked about understanding what this football club is about before, but I don't think any of them have really nailed it as much as he has. And I think he has led that, that's filtered into the dressing room. And I think it's really, really strong. Again, I keep using the word powerful. I should probably widen my vocabulary. Um, but the amount of Geordies that are in the dressing room as well, I think that's, that has been a big thing that how recognised straight away. We may all laugh at Paul Dummett because he doesn't ever play, but, um, he is important and I, I, you know, he will get a new deal because, I think Eddie understands that connection between city and club and region. It's really, really great. It's just really great that you, not me, not me, I'm not a fan. I never will be a fan, but it's great. My wife, my wife's family, and you guys have all got your football club back. Um, it's a very easy sentence to say, 
But I think this is a really, really exciting time. I think it's the start of something. I don't think it's the end. I think we're going to be talking in the next five to ten years about Newcastle United being one of the biggest and best clubs in Europe. And uh, that is just an amazing thing to come out of my mouth. Here, here, here to all of that. I just wanted to add something about um, Eddie Howe that relates back to yesterday. So can, can I get it, get it out of the way at the start? The, Keith, you talked about kind of feeling emotional at times. The, the biggest kind of wave of emotion I felt yesterday was right at the end when, as I said, you know, fans are still there five, ten minutes after the final whistle. Team, players, squad, staff are all there. No one wants to quite let go. And then Eddie sort of turn, half turns to go and it's like he's been injected with something and suddenly he turns back and there's that fist pump and he's like got his palms outstretched as if he's conducting this orchestra and it was like oh my god that you know he doesn't show emotion no, actually, no. he doesn't show emo- I mean having said that he showed a lot of emotion at Bournemouth when he went back to Bournemouth this season and where it's in Hog. And, and, and so, yeah, but it was like this absolutely fantastic moment. How was this fella? How was this fella sort of tapped into this thing about us, this aggression and ferocity? How does he get it? And you know, you just long for him to, to to sort of appreciate what he's done. And does he know how much he's adored and loved? And does he realise what he's unleashed? And I thought that was the perfect end to the season until, of course, Sven Botman pushes Jason Mad Dog Tyndall copyright copyright true faith once twice back towards the away end and then suddenly you've got this mahogany god (laughs) (laughs) mahogany god like white teeth glinting in the dying sun of Stamford Bridge and he's on his feet this incredible looking like the pump lord of all time and he's pumping his fists and he's um, and that was actually the end. That was the perfect end to the season. That was absolutely the perfect end to the season because we're all living in Jason Tindall's world. Did you just world. say the word pump lord? It's, it's a phrase, but okay. yes, I did, yes. Yeah. Just, just wanted to clarify that. Can I, uh, can I just add as well? See, just seeing this tonight, before we came out here, I said to my girlfriend, I went, the fucking season's over, right? We're all knackered. Look, you said that there, you're knackered. Yeah. I got in the taxi with Craig, he sat there, he went, I'm shattered. I went, I know me too. Like, we're yeah. done, we're done, and it's just been such a long season. And I said to her before I came, I said, oh, we're going to this event tonight. I think they sold 500 tickets. I said, they still want, they still want to just keep talking about football. Like, the season, <laughs> see, like, when, when are they going to want to stop talking to me? She goes, why? We're Geordies, man. We want to talk about non-stop. And I'm just like, I mean, this, as, as, as George sort of touched on there, like, in previous seasons, once the season was finished, you just wanted to forget about it and just, like, concentrate on your summer, switch off. It's almost like the talk, and we're now talking about transfer targets, budget, all that kind of stuff. We're now moving on to that already. We've not even had, what, 24 hours since the, since the Chelsea game. And that's because, obviously, there's such a, a hunger and everyone's just desperate for any scrap of um, information. And I have to say, it's amazing to see the day after the season's finished and there's 500 people in here to, to listen to us, guys. Absolutely. I mean, you know, we, we love these events. We're all absolutely shattered. We want, to, we want to break, but, you know, we love coming down and doing them. We all said to Alex, you know, you know if you give us sort of £100 each and a free bar, we'll do it for nothing. <laughs> Well, the first question took 25 minutes. Thanks, lads. Um, so well, I've got well to... you did invite Luke, to be fair. You know, that's... 
we'll keep them short enough. Yeah. Um, we've got a lot to get through, so I won't come to everyone and every question, okay? But I will, get, I will, you know, get to you all fairly because you're all as important as each other. Um, are you offering these people? A, are you offering these people a fee? I don't get. I don't. I don't take money Sa- for this. Same fee you offer me for athletic work, George. <laughs> The, the, the second best Newcastle podcast. <laughs> second best Newcastle podcast, he said it. Um, I want to talk about the Champions League. That'll shock you, but I want to talk about the Champions League. Um, anyone here in here not a season ticket holder? few people. Well, if you thought it was hard to get tickets to Southampton at home, <laughs> let's see what this ticket website's capable for Real Madrid. Um, Craig, I'll start with you because, because you, you, um, you went to Milan recently um, and my, and yeah, b- before anyone asks what I saw no I didn't <laughs> what, it, what is I, I'll rephrase this the, the trajectory of this football club is extraordinary I mean maybe it'll get lost in years to come what Eddie Howe did last season last season in terms of miracles what Newcastle have done this season is unbelievable from 11th to 4th but to stay up last season to finish 17th last season would have been a miracle so, so to do what we did, and I think we're the fourth best team in the league after January last season, was 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 class. To be honest with you, to totally change the style of playing. Exactly, you know, and 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 that Arsenal game in the last season was was a real. I remember doing a podcast saying, if that's what we're in for next season, thank fuck. Yes, it was. It was. It was exactly what we're in for this season. But Newcastle United got Champions League football to contend with next season, Craig, and it's it's going to be hard. Um, just you know, having some conversations there in the little green room we've got. Uh, someone said that the average league position of a team that qualifies for the Champions League for the first time and was in the Champions League for the first time in a while is actually eighth the next season. How do, Thanks, I was going to say that. <laughs> how, how do Newcastle United next season, how, how do they approach their season for you? What's more important, the Premier League or the Champions League? Well, it's funny. I mean, myself, Mark and Luke were in a, a Sunday briefing with Eddie uh, for the Sunday papers just on Friday there. And I genuinely asked the question, can you win the Champions League? And no one fell about laughing. And we had to sort of pinch yourself and think, and these are the questions you actually haven't to ask now. You know, how far can you go in the, uh, in the, in the tournament next year? And, you know, I was, I was lucky enough to be in Milan covering the second leg of the, the Champions League semi-final last week. And honestly, I say this, Newcastle now are better than those both Milan clubs. They really are. You know, Javier Manquillo would captain AC Milan. It's incredible <laughs> how, how, how bad they are. Uh, so. To, to, to that end, I don't think there's massive surgery needed to make Newcastle competitive in the Champions League. And, you know, when we see the groups come out last week, I think we're all looking at the pots, aren't we? And you're thinking, OK, brilliant, Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, Barcelona, uh, AC Milan, all the rest of it. But I don't think they should necessarily think like that. Yes, get one good of the, you know, in pot one, one of the nice glamour ones to go to. But in pot two and three, get teams you can beat. This Newcastle team, for me, could go deep. Bearing in mind, I think, even now where they are, they will be competitive before a summer of, uh, summer of recruitment. Now, now what do they need to do? Uh, I do think they need more goals coming from wide. I, I think yesterday I was down at Chelsea and as much as I love Miguel Almiron for the, for the character he is and the player he was earlier in the season, I think yesterday wasn't the worst thing and just reminding us that those two chances he had, I think at the very top level against the team like a Chelsea in the Champions League, you need a killer. In the, the, those wide areas, uh, uh, took a call today. I think they're looking at Ferran Torres, who's, who's out at Barcelona. 
is, is one name who's on the radar. I really do think as much as the focus has been on midfield and left back and the right side of the centre half, I think a goal scoring winger, you look at you know, Liverpool have got Salah, Saka at Arsenal, Martinelli, uh, Grealish, Foden, those sorts of players. But I honestly don't think the far away and with another, as Mark said, you know, with another summer of recruitment, which they have absolutely nailed. They haven't got one wrong so far. With another summer of that, with a budget which has been massively boosted uh, by qualification for the Champions League, I think they really can be uh, can be competitive. And uh, and yeah, twelve months time, we could be sat here with a great big replica Champions League trophy on the table, couldn't we? <laughs> Charlotte, wherever you are, um, can you book the Sage for this time next year? <laughs> we'll need a bigger venue. Moving on then, um, George, I want to ask you this question. I've got questions for all you guys. and Feel free to chip in at the end if anyone wants to add on to what anyone says. What, what are you looking forward to more, George, next season? Is it the trips across Europe or is it Wednesday and Tuesday night, the city of Newcastle upon Tyne, you're driving home from work, you see the lights on the stadium at 5pm and the, the city is alive. What, in terms of Champions League qualification, mate, what does it mean for you? You're worse than my boss. It's like, the season just finished yesterday. It's like, what's next? Well, what's next? I want to get pissed and I want to just enjoy... Okay, keep, keep the same enjoy, question, mate. I want to enjoy... I want to enjoy... The, I want to enjoy this. I mean, I, honestly, I haven't... I haven't like even really considered that. I mean, I, I do sort of think as it's as we've got closer to it, I've had that sort of feeling. You know, talk talk a lot to to sort of Dan Byrne after matches because he always stops in the mix zone, bless him, and he's like he's struggling to wrap his head around the idea of him watching Bobby's team playing in the Champions League. You know, Juventus he talks about, and then there's the chance that he might be doing the same thing next season. I love that. I mean, I. I I was lucky enough to report on Newcastle in the Champions League last time. I can't remember a single fucking thing about it. I have to be honest. Um, but I do, you know, I, I can't wait. It's going to stretch. It's going to stretch everybody to be, to offer a bit of balance to what Craig said. Um, you know, it's the first time. It's going to be the first time for a lot of these players. First time for the management. First time, you know, the, you know, all of us have done that sort of thing of traveling and it tires you out. And, but, you know, I, the other side of it is that the club has risen to absolutely every single challenge that it's had thrown at it so far and passed it with flying colours. It takes me back, though, to one of those remarkable, ridiculous interviews that uh, Mike Ashley did. I think it was after probably the seventh or eighth time he tried and failed to sell the club. And do you remember he said, I'm not going anywhere until we win a trophy or qualify for the Champions League? Uh, and, or, or he said, and by that I also mean the Champions League. And that was the, one of the problems about the club. It was like this, this idea that getting into the Champions League was an end in itself. And it's not. And the, the, the conversations they're having at the club at the moment, one of the, you know, I'm not speaking on, on, on their behalf, but the idea, they're totally conscious that it's not about getting there once. It's about getting there again, and it's about being there regularly. And what can they do to mitigate against that? This is way ahead of schedule. You know, we all have to understand that and and appreciate that. And you know, if Newcastle were to finish sixth next season, I think that's an incredible season next next season. By the way, but um, yeah, and it's about the bigger picture. It's not just about next season. It's about making sure Newcastle can compete at the top level for years to come. That's the thing that really excites me. Um, 
yeah, but I mean, you know, you talk about Barcelona and Real Madrid, all those clubs. I, I, I mean, it's just insane, the whole thing. You know, the whole thing's insane. Wonderful. Just, Wonderful. Jump, just jump in, Alex. Um, uh, they've got a lot of work to do this summer. Um, my guys. Uh, <laughs> um, the squad, as it stands, I don't think is equipped to play in Europe at the moment. I think they were fortunate with injuries this season. How often do you go through a whole campaign and have your first choice two centre-backs? Not get injured, one of them get injured. Um, your captain and probably your best defender, your Kieran Trippier, doesn't get injured at the age he is. If they were to lose Bruno for any length of period of time in midfield, they haven't got the depth that those other Champions League clubs have. And that's why they're in the Champions League. They get more money, they build the squad up, they build the squad depth up. That's where Newcastle are at a disadvantage. So to pick up on what George said there, there will probably be some sort of reset next season in terms of league finish. But it's going to be a wonderful journey, a wonderful ride. And I think we were talking earlier about would you take finishing eighth and get to like the latter stages of the Champions League? As a, would you take eighth and semi-final of the Champions League? Yes, I would. I would take a semi-final of the Champions League and eighth all day, every day. But I think the league form will will drop off. But it is a huge summer. Um, FFP is a problem. I'm sure Darren will, will talk about that. But they've got a lot of work to do. They've got every pretty much every single decision right so far. But I think this is a really, really big summer, a huge summer for them because if they are going to stay and sustain this success. The squad, as it currently is, is not equipped to do that. Um, they could be in trouble if they don't get the recruitment right, but I'm sure they will. They're very good people and they stood left to me. And Peter's probably in striking distance, I think so. Um, um, but yeah, no, so yeah, there's, it, 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 it's, it's, a, it's a big summer. It's a big summer. They've got a lot of work to do and I think it's been the perfect season, but they've got to probably add for me four or five elite players. I think the manager's called for that and I'm, and I'm sure they will do. I'm sure they will do. Yeah, I mean, one of the stats which I think reinforces Luke's point is there's only 14 players have started five on the Premier League games. They've been working with such a small pool. Now, while those players have been excellent, yes, they have been extremely lucky. So, I, when I said before they're doing major surgery, I think Kevin Keegan always had this phrase like, go out and buy better. And while I adhere to that, they probably will struggle to get better than Alexander Isak. will struggle to get better than Bruno Gamares. What they need is, a, is another two or three of those. So, you get to the point where perhaps a, a Miguel Almiron does become a, does become a substitute, you know, uh, but yeah, as we said, you would trust these guys to get it right again because they've got it, they've got it so right so far. But it is a big summer, uh, and they haven't got an absolute bottomless pit. They're going to have to be clever, going to have to manoeuvre again. But you would, you would back them to get it right. They're lovely problems to have, aren't they? These, by the way, like I've, I, I remember every summer when I seemed to work for the Chronicle. Every summer seemed to be some depressing story that we had to cover. Rafa Benitez, is he going to stay? Is he going to go? signing just Vernon and Eater after they got into the Europa League you know we're, we're, we're kind of like we are talking here about amazing problems to have and I think what's nice about the dilemmas that we're all talking about here is it's all you know you can trust the people at the top of the football club that they are aiming to improve it they are progress is the mantra of this football club now and that is the big difference between now and what we had a few years ago I think we have to accept that I don't think there have been I can't think of a single mistake that has been made since the, since the takeover happened. I can't, you know, off the top of my head, I can't think of a single one. Um, we've got to accept that there are going to be mistakes. And I think probably as a fan base, we maybe have to be a little bit understanding if there are mistakes that happen and things, you know, management errors and things like that. But, you know, there hasn't been one yet. Um, but, you know, the overall journey, the overall route of travel is progress. And I think 
whatever happens this summer, you know, they are, they are, that we know that the people at the top are aiming to progress the football club. They want to make it one of the best in Europe. And I don't think you could have said that about the people that had the club before. And I think that is the main thing for me that, that I'll take away from this season is that, you know, you have to have some trust in the people, um, in the boardroom and the people, uh, in the dugout because they are all aiming for the best and they are sincerely, um, honest about that. And I think that's what's so great about this, uh, about this close season. The, the good thing about, um, being in the Champions League is that you're more attractive now to players. I mean, speaking to agents and people involved in, in transfers over the last season or two, it was always like Newcastle are on the up, but, we want our player to go. He wants to play Champions League. You kept hearing that all the time. Well, you are going to play, be playing Champions League now, so it's much more a attractive destination now for 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 players to to come to. But kind of what moving on from what Craig said there, if you add three or four players to that squad that can come in and you know similar sort of quality to what you've got already, a new centre half, at least one midfielder, a forward, maybe two midfielders, suddenly the whole squad starts looking a lot stronger. And I think that can take you quite far. I do think, I do think, as the others have said as well, it'll be difficult to get a top four finish again in the Premier League. I, re- I really do. I think it, I think top eight, top eight would be seen as a success. Although saying that, we sat here exactly a year ago and, exactly, gave, and, yeah. gave, and gave our predictions for the season. I think I said, I think I predicted sixth. And, 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 and even then I was like, I'm, I'm probably shooting for the stars a little bit. And there you go, you, you finish fourth. So listen, things, things can happen. And with Eddie Howe at the helm, you know, you, you have to trust that things are, that things are going to go well. But I just feel it'll be difficult. It'll be really difficult to, to keep that level of performance every Saturday when you've played on a Tuesday, Wednesday night beforehand away from home in Milan or Madrid or whatever it is. Having said no. that, the Premier League is probably going to be weaker next year, isn't it? If you look at the teams yeah. in it, it, the top seven, top seven, top eight, I think is, is strong. The, the top four, top five, top six is going to be a bit more competitive. But I think below that, Sheffield United coming up, there's nothing to worry about there. I don't think Luton, you know, I, I don't think it's as strong, it's as strong or as deep as it used but to, to be. To take that a bit, to take that a bit further, the Anita summer, you, you're, you are right. After it's finishing, right. after finishing oh, fifth is our very own, is our very own version of what we're talking about. You know, Newcastle didn't strengthen. Ike Ashley was furious about finishing fifth. The, 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 he was. He was. He wanted to finish fourth. And before that, George, there's a Lee Bogus summer, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, we absolutely made a habit of not strengthening from that position of strength. And although the, the European part of that season, the following season, was absolutely fantastic in the sense it brought back all those memories, had a chance to sort of do all that over again. It immediately put Alan Pardew under pressure and he never recovered from it. And the league was an absolute struggle. It was horrible. And, um, the, but, you know, but what I wanted to say is that the incredible thing you talk about, you know, maybe sitting here next summer with the Champions League trophy, you talk about booking out the stage for the, for the do next season. The thing, you can say with I, haven't, abs- I, haven't, I haven't got the price yet, George. So. The, the thing, the thing that you can say with cast iron certainty is that although there may be a dip in form next season, Newcastle may have a couple of injuries, um, they may lose a couple of games. Newcastle United will be stronger this time next year on the pitch and off the pitch than it is now. You know that for a fact. They're building the club off the pitch. They're building the team. And the club will be better prepared and better situated than it is now. That's an incredible thing. How many times have we ended seasons thinking, okay, that was awful, and what do we have to look forward to next year? Or, okay, that was all right, but what do we have to look forward to next year? This time next year, the club will be stronger, better, bigger, and better equipped to tackle what's ahead. And if...
in different season after the next to do drop into the Europa League. You know, we'll get to do all the stag do cities. Did anyone else look? <laughs> We've gone too quick. We've missed all. I was like, stag do, stag do, stag do. The Champions Leagues, Milan, Madrid. You know, I'm going to have to wear my chinos and my white shirt. It's, uh, nah, uh, so if they do drop down, we have got that to look forward to. I'll, I'll just add a little bit of, of uh, fan-led optimism about next season. I absolutely get what everyone's saying. You guys know lots about the football club. You've just demonstrated that historically and presently. But I, I think fourth place and 71 points does Newcastle a disservice this season. I think that Newcastle lost the least amount of games, joint least amount of games, apart from maybe Brighton away, which we didn't lose in Villa away. I don't think Newcastle were bested in any fixture. Uh, that they lost. I think Newcastle finished still top of that oh-so-important league who's hit the post and the crossbar the most. Which, and it's a, lot, it's a lot of goals. And, you know, even, even during the quote-unquote difficult spells this season, Newcastle's issue is that they were dominating games and not putting teams to bed. So like you guys say, if, if we can find a midfield player who's a little bit better at unlocking the Leicester Cities and the Leeds Uniteds at, at homes, which we didn't do, if we can have a replacement for Bruno Gomares, because I mean, you are one of you made the point there about the the two centre backs playing all season. Absolutely right. Newcastle didn't win a game without Bruno Gomares this season. Imagine if he'd been fit. Wow, like if he'd been fit all season, where would we have finished? So I, you're right, but I also feel like Newcastle are on such a journey. Who's going to stop us? Who's going to stop us with three, four quality players? Who's going to stop us in Champions League nights? I really think we're going to push, and the, probably the, the club would would hate me for saying this. Not that, well, that's what I say, but. I think we can push Man City and Arsenal. I'm not looking below, I'm looking above because we're absolutely fucking class. Um, <laughs> Keith, uh, you know, I enjoy watching you on TV and on YouTube and you spend, you spend a lot of time with these players who play for Newcastle United. I just want you to give the room a little bit of a flavour of what someone like Alexander Isak and, and one of the, the guys said before, you know, what a footballer to play for this club. What are these what what are these guys like as people and what have they been like in this running? Because one of the key facets of this season, one of the key things that you like Sir Gary Neville said is the pressure will get them. The pressure they haven't been in this position before, they'll crumble. Liverpool will catch them. What didn't happen? Is that something that you picked up on when talking to these guys week in, week out? Yeah, well, just in terms of their personality, firstly, George mentioned a moment ago Dan Byrne, and you know, he's always stopping and speaking afterwards in the mix. I think he did a meet and greet in Blythe over the weekend in his free time, which shows everything about him. The, the last interview, player interview I did was um, Thursday with Bruno Guimaraes, sit down with him, and just to give you a little insight into terms of his personality, sat down and started asking me about what my plans were for the summer. You know, and I've never had that before from a player. He's like, where, where what are you, are you doing, Cave? <laughs> we'll and you're you're more famous than him. So. I had to tell a few lies. Anyway, he said, uh, <laughs> he said, I mean, listen, I don't know if he would just be nice and trying to like kill some time, but he's like, so where are you going? What are you doing? And where do you live? And all this. I'm thinking, geez, is this, is this for real? Like, and everyone says, Eddie Howe tries to bring characters to the, to the club, people, good personalities, people that they'll fit in, you know, people that aren't going to like upset the apple cart, knock on his door, kick off in the background. And that, for me, was a, a real example of, of what he means by that. He sat there, he was, in, he was actually interested in me. Like, he actually wanted to know things of, things about me. And I just, I just thought it was unbelievable. He then went on to tell me that his, uh, his wedding is uh, a couple of weeks' time in, in Rio, and Joe Linton, who he only met uh, 16 months ago, is his best man. <laughs> so...
that 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 to me that to me told everything about the, the team spirit and the togetherness in the camp in that you know a, a man who he met less than a year and a half ago is now the best I mean I think when he when when Bruno signed everyone was saying oh let, let's get uh, Paqueta as well that's his best I mate mean, he's dumped him quick enough is he not he's moved on to Joe Linton pretty pretty quickly <laughs> Joe Linton's been in the gym got himself beefed up and stuff so anyway listen he was um it's just it's just it's just a pleasure to speak to these guys it really is I mean even like guys like Kieran Tripp guys like guys like Kieran Tripp here as well he's come in makes an effort to sort of speak to everyone before before the game and after. Again, he's just a, an absolute leader. And you can tell, I mean, I think we were chatting to Darren and Peter earlier and they had, uh, I think they had a bit of a night out on, on Tuesday to, to celebrate a staff night out. Some of the players were like, you know what, we're going to go along to that. Turned up, turned up and had a few beers and uh, enjoyed it as well. And would you have ever got that in the Newcastle United in the past? Would you have ever got anything like that? No. So to answer your question, the real people that Eddie Howe signing, like Eddie Howe is, a, a yeah, real yeah. person, and, and I just, and I just, it's, it's great to talk to them, and I always feel that they're more than happy to sit, answer questions, chat to you for for, for as long as as long as you want. You never, you never get that feeling that they're sitting there just kind of like doing it because they have to. They actually enjoy talking to you, and that sh- that's a really good example of the of the football club. Sorry, I was going to say I, I do remember um, distinctly, and I, I think it was maybe six or seven years ago where Newcastle rolled out the idea that they were going to charge us all to uh, to get interviews. It wasn't that long ago. It wasn't that long 2015. ago. 2015. 2015. Um, and the terms were... Don't get any ideas. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we should have said that. <laughs> um, um, and we sort of said to them at the time, like, you know, look, you've got... You got these players with their their stories to tell. You know, these guys are, and you know, like I I do agree. This is a particularly good uh, group in terms of stopping and and talking to you, and the, you know they're really good characters. But I think to be fair, throughout the years, there, there's always been good characters in the Newcastle United dressing room. They haven't been as good players, I think it's fair to say. But there's always been good characters in there. But the club had this really short sighted attitude that will will charge you to to tell their stories, um, and it meant that you guys couldn't get to know them a little bit better. So you got. You know, you had players back in the day who, you know, who were who were good characters, people who wanted to get to know the city and wanted to get to know the region, but they were never allowed to tell their stories. They were never allowed to kind of make a connection with 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 you as fans. They were never, you know, social social media was sort of not quite as as, as big as it is now. But they they never they were never able to tell those stories. They were never able to kind of they, they were told not to trust anybody who wanted to ask them questions. And I think what has been really good about this year is that they have told their stories and you know you, you see what a guy like Bruno has, has gone through to get to the level he's at and Jolinton as well you know I think it's no surprise the the, the amount of um, likes and um, you know like celebration there was yesterday about his Brazil cap this is a guy who Rochdale away in the FA Cup was being hounded off the pitch by uh, by some supporters, you know, but I don't think it was I don't think it was anything personal. I think it was this idea that we've got this guy sitting in an ivory castle who's you know record signing, and actually nothing could be further from the truth. He's a really really nice guy, and a you know a guy who has worked so hard to get to the level that he's at. But now we know a little bit more about him. He's done loads of interviews, talked about his his life and his career, and we've got to know him. And I think it just adds to this kind of you know, unity and synergy between fans and uh, fans and, and players. And I think, you know, it's been great to see, to read, you know, I mean, we're all competitors in some ways, but it's been great to read the interviews that these guys have got and, you know, to get a few interviews of our own. And I think the press office said to said to us, like they've, they've given every single person who's asked this year a, a one-to-one interview. 
Um, and I think, you know, I've never known that in my entire time. You know, you ask for something and you do get it. And, um, you know, I think that, that has been a, a really progressive and a really uh, positive thing that they've, uh, they've managed to do this year. Keith mentioned at the top of his answer there, Dan Byrne. And for me, there's no player more than Dan Byrne captures the journey Newcastle have been on. And he's a, you know, they've got this policy, this no dickhead policy. And Dan Byrne is the exact opposite of that. He's such a, such a good lad. And I was lucky enough to be at a dinner with him uh, a couple of weeks ago. It was the reunion for the 92-93 promotion side uh, 30 years on. Up at the Gosford Park, the Marriott, and Dan Byrne was on my table. Uh, and so was John Beresford. And John Beresford was sat next to Dan Byrne. I thought, oh, this is dangerous. The, the last person you want in Dan Burns here for three hours talking about defending is John fucking Beresford. <laughs> but, you know, Dan was an absolute gent. The fact there was a journalist on the table didn't bother him. He was a, he was a grown-up about it. He interacted with all of them, Beresford, Bracewell, Lee Clark. He, he was absolutely brilliant. Next game, what was he going to do after three hours with John Beresford? Brighton? He scores his first league goal for Newcastle. So, so there you go. Yeah, they're going to bring in Philippe Albert to talk to Sven Botman ahead of next season. <laughs> but uh, but on, the, on that night as well, Dan brought his, uh, his dad along with him. And it was my friend who had, uh, who had organized the night. And he texted my friend and said, no, can I bring my dad? It's his, uh, his birthday. He said, my friend replied, yeah, absolutely no problem. Wonderful. We'll get a shirt made up for him. Uh, we'll get all the lads of 92, 93 to sign it. Dan Byrne replied, you know, that, that's very nice of you. You know, no need to make a fuss. We're just happy with the tickets. By the way, his name's David. <laughs> so on the night, and this just captures, you know, the connection between supporters, the past, the current players. On the night, you had Kevin Keegan stood on the stage where I am now with a microphone leading 500 people in singing Happy Birthday to Dan Byrne's dad. It was, it was quite something. It was incredible. But yeah, George, you know, you've got to know Dan quite well. And I think to go back to what I said at the top there, he is someone who just really does capture, you know, how, how on earth is, Dan Byrne, someone who was plugged from Brighton, he's played out of position every game this season, and he's took his hometown club into the Champions League. It's quite, quite incredible. Yeah, not good enough. Not good enough, apparently. <laughs> not good enough for Newcastle, but he's been good enough for fourth place. He's good enough for the Champions League. He's good enough to take Newcastle to Wembley. I love him. I've, I'm very fickle in my affection, I have to be honest. I transfer it from player to player, but. More than, uh, more than Isaac Hayden, or? Uh, <laughs> sorry, sorry to do this to you, Isaac, but, um. He loves a squad crush, George. He's always got one. I do, I do. It's been. Pura, Matt Ritchie. It's, I uh, know. Poor Kieran Trippier. Um, but no, I, I just, yeah, I, I, I adore him. I mean, the, all his family, by the way, were in the away end at Chelsea yesterday wearing burn shirts and all the rest of it. How many times have we seen Bruno and Bruno's family? You know, they're, they're warriors. Um, the thing I love about them, I mean, you don't have to be connected like that in a dressing room to be successful. You don't have to go very far to kind of look, look at that, you know, talk about some of the great Manchester United sides. Wasn't it um, Cole and Sheringham who didn't speak to each other, yes. but were very good? Like the press box, really. Yeah, and worked worked together on the pitch. And of course, you know, Bobby's Bobby's Newcastle team was full of spiky characters like Bellamy and Dyer and the rest of it. You know, and there was there were there were there were pulls and tensions between the squad, but it worked on a Saturday. The the beautiful thing, though, about this team is how they all do love each other. There's a gen, genuine bond. Um, between them and you know they've spoken very openly about that and when it does happen there's a kind of magic to it I think um, and you know Bruno's played on 
this season. His ankle's an absolute mess, covered in bruises. He wanted to play. Dan Burns' shoulder keeps popping out. You know, it's dislocated. He wants to play. He carries on. And, you know, there's just a kind of a real feeling of, of closeness there. And they had this desperation. You know, it wasn't supposed to be their turn this season. It wasn't supposed to be their time. You know, they are way ahead of schedule, but they've had this drive to be the team that did it, that did something, that were remembered for it. Obviously, there was a chance to do that for the cup final. We will remember that weekend forever because it was so very, very special. The result didn't go our way. We won the weekend. We lost the match. That's disappointing. We'll come back and win the match. I'm convinced about that. But they are the team that got Newcastle into the top four, and that is such an amazing achievement. And they'll be remembered forever for it. And, uh, yeah, here's to them. Absolutely sensational. Okay. Thanks. We've run over a little bit. And um, Mark and Luke, I did have questions for you, but we'll never know what they were. But what I, what I want to do briefly with everyone is I would like a moment of the season. It doesn't have to be. It can be whatever you want. It can be one specific thing. It can be a goal, a game, whatever you want. I'm going to start with you and come this way. So, George, next. Moment of the season, Luke. Isak's dribble against Everton. I actually have watched it so many times. I, I basically now know it off by heart. It is... It is it's truly one of the most remarkable things I've ever seen on a football pitch. To... to, to trapeze artist the line lead. I think he beats four Everton players some of them twice one of them three times um, <laughs> it's just phenomenal just, just loved it oh, closely followed by Tottenham I know I was only asked for one but yeah I've got to struggle to keep this together um, because for me it's Trafalgar Square um, and um, I'm not I'm not thank no, you it's, um, it's, I do I might need it but uh Sorry to bring this down, but my, my stepdad died that morning and um, he introduced me to Newcastle. And uh, so he kind of gave me this life, really. And I was with him when he went into hospital at the start of that week and I visited him every day. And he told me he was a season ticket holder and he told me that I had to go to London. And I said, No, I don't. I'm going to stay. And um, eventually I did go and it tore me apart to do that. And. Um, he said that I have to report back to him from Wembley, and I didn't get the chance to do that. And it felt like, as I was leaving, much against my will, really, much against my better judgment, it felt that football didn't matter. But then when I got to Wembley, uh, sorry, when I got to Trafalgar Square, and I was with real proper friends, I was with Alex that day, I was with Charlotte, I was with Luke, um, I realized that it did matter. And to be there for this once in a sort of generational moment when we're all getting pissed, we're all hugging random strangers, we're with friends, we're with family, we're celebrating the rebirth of a football club. It's what it's all about. And um, Gordon was with me, and he was with all of us. And, uh, yeah, so that's my moment.
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Well, I can't, anything, I can't offer anything quite as profound as that, I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, fuck, he's going to talk about it. He's going to give that story. Just do um, Isaac's dribble. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm probably going to take the, the tone down a little bit, but it was uh, Jacob Murphy's face after he scored that goal against Tottenham. <laughs> Fucking hell! <laughs> it was the it was the look of disbelief on his face. He's like, "Did I just do that?" Um, and I think it just sort of summed up what we all thought that day of like. You guys and I had four nil up against Tottenham after like 18 minutes or something, and Jacob Murphy scored like the goal of the season. Um, but yeah, I mean, for me that was that was just a, a, an unbelievable day, and you kind of you got lost in the end of it because thinking Spurs were rubbish, but actually, you know, they were fifth in the league and Newcastle were fourth at the time, and you know, and, and Jacob Murphy had scored the goal. You know, is guy that, was is that the only game that I think we've all laughed? Oh, in the pr- people were just I, looking at each other and laughing. I actually said, I think when the fourth goal went in, it was a mixture of cheers and laughter, wasn't it? It was like, the, it was that weird thing of like, it's sort of this deafening roar. And then it was a sort of like people laughing as well. And it was just, yeah, it was brilliant. And that will, that game will stay with me forever. Like, I, you know, you don't do that to a, a really good team. Um, but hopefully Newcastle will do it to it. Really good teams. A lot. I had a tenner on Newcastle to win 4-0 that day and it, the, the bet was done after about 12 minutes. <laughs> Honestly, I couldn't, I actually could not believe it. Um, it's funny you ask this because I've actually just had to open soccer base because uh, I'm trying to remember all the different wins. And I'm like, you just forget about them all. 4-1 away to Southampton, 4-0 at home to Aston Villa, 2-1 away to Tottenham, 6-1 at home to Tottenham, 2-1 at home to Southampton in the, in the, the, the cup semi-final, 2-0 against Man United, 5-1 away against West Ham. You actually forget about the amount of... I mean, it's ridiculous when you look and you see green WWWW the whole, the whole way down. I think I touched on it earlier. It was the... Um, for me, it was... It was like like George, it was um, Wembley. It was, it was actually the day of the game. And I don't know if many of you saw this. I did a, a, I did a, a live on Sky Sports News. Um, the clip from it went viral afterwards with... Um, uh, a group of Newcastle fans and I, and I basically just started they were live on air and I, I'd kind of got this little su- circle around us of, of uh, supporters there was maybe about like maybe about 100 of them around us and I kind of earmarked two or three who I was going to go and speak to and the first guy he kind of was making himself available he wanted to speak and I said I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come to you first sir okay he said yeah yeah I'm ready I'm ready and we're ready to go live and uh Introduced, said, "Look, here we are at Wembley. Two hours till kick off. There's Newcastle fans everywhere. I've not seen one Manchester United fan anywhere. Newcastle have taken over the city. There's a hundred thousand in, in, in London. How many? At, you know, tens of thousands at the game. I'm going to come straight to you, sir. And I said, How are you feeling? And I put the mic just under his face, like that. and it was just this pause for a second. And he just started crying. He literally just started, he literally just started crying. Like, didn't say a word. And he goes." I'm, I'm, I'm nervous. I'm, I'm, ne- I'm nervous. And I said, I said, why are you nervous? He goes, I don't even know why I'm nervous. He goes, I don't even care if we win. It's just being back here. And it was just that moment. And I think I touched on it earlier, the emotion before the game. And it just got me going. The hairs on the back of my neck were standing up. And it just made me, I mean, I, I've been covering the club here for, it'll be 10 years this, this September. And obviously I, I don't remember, or I remember watching the, the Keegan years, but I wasn't involved in it, in the sharp end. So I've not seen what the club can be. I've only seen it in the, the Mike Ashley years. So so for me, 
that day, the build-up to the game, as I've said, in terms of all the games, I mean, there's, 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 there's too many to name. I was going to say the same as Mark, actually, the, the Spurs game when it was 4-5-0. Although my bet was done, but listen, you, you're happy for a bet to be done if, if Newcastle are 5-0 up after 21 minutes. But um, yeah, listen, there's been so many, so many amazing wins throughout the season that you forget about. You forget about some of them. And uh, here's, to, here's to plenty more next season. I'll do two just quickly, one a match, one a moment. Uh, the match, I go back to, and I had to do this for the mail today, actually. I was asked what the, my favourite game of the season was. And I put a match Newcastle didn't win, and it was the 3-3 draw Manchester City back in August. Because that was the point I realised, these are fucking good. You know, they, they, they really are. The fact they went toe-to-toe to come back from 1-0 down to be 3-1 up against Man City. De Bruyne then turns it on with a master class, and Eddie Howe said afterwards it was an incredible game, and you know, who are we to, to disagree? But even though that was amidst a run of games that were drawn, when they perhaps should have been winning some of them, you just knew then these guys are, are going to compete. My moment, like the other guys, I go back to, to the cup final, and my, uh, my oldest boy went down with my wife. Obviously, we were working, so I didn't see him all day. And then I went back to the hotel afterwards and he, he sat on my knee and he told me all about his, all about his day. And uh, yeah, he now thinks all referees are called stupid bastard, by the way. <laughs> Which is a real issue. Uh, but, uh, with my wife here. He hasn't been back to a game since. Uh, but you know, he sat on my lap and he talked to me about the tube and supporters talking to him and the pain of losing and the referee and this chance and that chance and the own goal. And part of me was just really, take this the right way, really glad Newcastle had lost. It was almost like a rite of passage. I thought, wow, it would have been too easy for you if at your first cup final, your second ever game, you'd come down and Newcastle had won. So in a perverse way, I was just like, yeah, son, you know, you've, this is what being a football fan is about. Everyone in this room has been there. None of us have actually experienced the other side of it. So in a strange way, Newcastle getting beat at Wembley was bloody reassuring. Just, just very, very quickly, we asked the same question to Eddie Howe uh, after the Leicester game last week, and it was the most Eddie Howe answer I've ever heard. His favourite moment of the season was the 2 0 win against Nottingham Forest in the opening day. <laughs> look, look what's happened since then, and that is the moment that he remembers for the season. I'll answer mine very quickly. Uh, best game, I think anyone in the away end at Forest will remember that for a lifetime. It was an unbelievable away end, and, and it's just the. The, the injustice of that moment being stolen from Elliot Anderson and then to to score in the last minute, those celebrations were just out of this world. Um, quick one from me, being 5-0 up after 21 minutes against Spurs was exhausting. Um, I don't know anyone else felt the same. I was like, I, I stand up in the corner illegally, but not from next season. Thanks, NUFC. Um, um, I had to sit down. Um, but I'm also a, a terrible person and every time we score at St. James's, I like to stick two fingers up the away fans and the Man United game 2-0 after I'd finished celebrating um, Wilson's goal I looked up at the away end but there was no one fucking there okay we've reached We've reached the end of part one nearly, nearly. To, don't, people are getting up to go to the bar. You don't want to miss this, I, I trust you. First of all, before we bring on our next guests very briefly, I want everyone to give a round of applause to these guys for part one. And then I'll ask you all to vacate the stage, please, to make some room if that's okay. So clap them off. Be back.
and I'd like to invite onto the stage Peter Silverson and Darren Eels. Take it away, Darren. Wow. Well, that was a tough act to follow. I mean, first, I just want to say a huge thank you to everyone here. Um, it's my first season. I'm thinking back of all the memories. I remember my first game was a Man City match. And that was when I was just like, well, I mean, I've been seven years in MLS. How good has the Premier League got? It was, it was ridiculous. Um, and the season has just gone from strength to strength. And I think, you know, what really amazed me is just, you know, the fan base, the media that do such a, brilliant job. I remember talking to Dan Byrne. I did a piece uh, quite early on at BBC Newcastle. So it was the phone-in. I was with Lee Marshall. So I said, let's tune in. And we'd just beaten Brent. I think it was 5-1 or 5-0. I was like, it would be good just to hear what the tone is. And I'm expecting it to be very upbeat. And the first curler on is saying, that Dan Byrne, he can't play left back. <laughs> Eddie doesn't know what he's doing. I was like, whoa. <laughs> Football fans are the same everywhere. But uh, no, I mean, the, the support's just been incredible. And I mean, we'll, we'll chat a little bit of, you know, as we're building this club, I think back to the Wembley, um, and I spoke about, you know, how we took over the city, but, but that moment when we were 2-0 down in the 90th minute, and you can have a shot at the stadium, and half of it's just in black and white, you know, the other half aren't really bothered. I mean, it was just, when we're trying to sell what it is that's Newcastle United to our corporate partners, that feeling that, that makes it special, why this club is the most unique club in the world, it's moments like that that are just, immeasurable for us. I think that sort of just encapsulates what is magic about this club, what's so special and what makes our job so exciting that we've got this opportunity to hopefully take this club where we all want to go. Brilliant, Peter. Yeah, and agree with a lot of what Darren said, but some of the comments that were made by esteemed panellists here earlier. Um, not really resonated. Um, bringing the pride back to the city. Obviously, I haven't lived in the city. I've been here for a year, moving up here permanently in August. I love the city. It's incredible. But to think about having been a, a football fan all my life and reading about Newcastle United and the Keegan era and the Mike Ashley era and the different, the different ups and downs, but just knowing, having got to know and love the people of the city, knowing how proud you must be of this club now, um, compared to, you know, what it's been in the past, and just the fact that we all together—not not just Darren and I in the club—but together as a group can make this city and this region so proud is amazing. Another question that I love tonight is: What's better, bringing Europe and the world to Newcastle, or bringing Newcastle to the world in Europe? I don't know. It's a great question because um, it resonates. What Newcastle United did, what the fans did in. In, uh, in London was incredible. I've lived in London for 20 years. Um, uh, my wife has never been offered a seat on the tube before. and <laughs> Never. Never. And she said, two Geordie lads, Radges, they basically said, <laughs> they said to me, do you want a seat on the tube? And I said, that's because they knew who you were. And she went, no, no, no. But I was wearing my scarf. <laughs> um, but, but no, the, I mean, you know, obviously, my role and the, the, the team that I work with is to is to sell Newcastle, um, is to make sure that we can generate money that he can spend and hopefully, as everyone said, as, as well as they have done so far. But to bottle what London was that weekend, I mean, there's no club that can do that. Cleaning up a 
Trafalgar Square, just the way we behaved, the fact that in the 19th minute we were still celebrating and appreciating. I hope we can all continue to do that. We all know football is an emotional roller coaster, and we, you know, we we criticise the bad and we, you know, we we put the, the good on a, on a pedestal. But let's just all remember that this feeling, because it's one of appreciation. Um, and if we can continue to sell that globally, which is what we need to do, we need to make sure that the club is seen globally for what it is here. Um, it would be amazing. And then, um, you know, just thinking as well about, uh, you know, just the revolution that's happened both on and off the pitch, the comment that you guys make, and it resonated with me, which is the club will be in a better place in a year's time. And that's absolutely true. Um, we will definitely, no matter where we finish, first, second, third or eighth, the club will be in a better place in a year's time. And I, I appreciate the, the trust that, that someone said that, but it is true. We will be. We're going to build a team. We're going to build sort of off the pitch that is capable of being resilient to whether we're fourth or eighth or first. You have to be. Because as my, ten, my friend's 10-year-old son said to me yesterday, he said, oh, Chelsea are going to finish in the top five next season. No one can say that. You don't know. It's such a competitive league. Um, but the club will definitely be in a better place in a year's time, that's for sure. So appreciate the trust that the, the, the panel said on, on that point. The lads have very, very kindly um, offered to take a couple of questions. So I, th- I suppose I'll ask you both what we just asked the panellists there uh, at the end. So Darren, let's start with you. Moment of the season. Well, the guys covered a lot. I think for me, I'll pick the Fulham game. I think Fulham away, we had quite a few draws. So it was one of those moments where I think you get them in seasons where the momentum could have gone either way. And so I think there was a bit of nervousness. Certainly I was feeling it going to Craven Cottage. Uh, so to win that game, the way that Miggy just... Pulled that one from nowhere. I mean, I think that was when I felt after that game, we went into that run of matches where we were scoring goals for fun. I think that was the moment where we kick-started the season. So, so many great moments. But for me, when I look back, I think that was a key moment. Can I go for four? Of course you can. Good. So there's Man City at home. I was about to take off on a plane to the US. I was just finalising a discussion with the Darren to come. And my kids were wondering why Nicola and I were watching on a screen in the, in the airport the City game. And then they wondered why we swore profusely on a beach in the US when Liverpool equalised in the 90th minute. <laughs> Literally, it was like, what the fuck? <laughs> um, and then, sort of almost a bit personal, but also just sort of when we realised where we were going, the, the away draw Arsenal. Um, so obviously people will know I used to work at Arsenal for, for a long time. And I spent a lot of time on buses back from away games with David O'Leary and Pat Rice, um, who were very close to me. And after the game, um, I went into them and said, oh, sorry for the um, shithousery. Um, and Pat Rice, uh, like, like he was Arsene's like, bulldog, and he said to me, um, I said, you know, obviously the fans are a bit upset that we've sort of shithoused the way to the first, the first point that any club had taken at the Emirates that season. David O'Leary and Pat Rice's turns me, we thought you were fucking brilliant today. <laughs> um, which, which we were. We were the first team to take a point from Arsenal at, at Emirates that season. 
And then everyone said it, but I think it's got to be both because it was so embarrassing but so exhilarating was halftime at Spurs. We'd, we'd agreed that we decided to invite Mr. Daniel and, and Todd from Spurs. They, they, no, no. They, we'd, mi- we'd mixed the tables, which is unusual in the chairman suite. So I was sitting at a table with, with Todd and Daniel, who, and Todd I've got a good relationship with, but at halftime it was just embarrassing to go in there. <laughs> For both of us. I'm not reveling in there, but it was just, I've never watched a game of football where I think um, someone said it was like more laughing than, than anything. <laughs> was this actually happening? I've, I've been involved in a lot of friendly matches in my time. And I don't think I've ever seen goals go in like that. So, um, yeah, the first 22 minutes of Spurs was, uh, was fantastic. We'll ask you one final question then. Um, same question to you both, Darren, first. Champions League football, how does it feel? It's pretty remarkable. I think um, if you'd have said at the start of the season that you know, we'd have this spot, I think um, we were just looking for progression. I think it's amazing for the city. I think it's amazing for the club. I mean, I want to do a huge shout-out to to Eddie Howe and the players because I think it is just remarkable what he's done with the team. And I think it's really interesting when you look at the journey we're going on. I mentioned something to George at the Athletic early on when I joined. It was a bit of a glib comment. I said, I'll just come into a 130-year-old startup because I built a club from scratch in Atlanta, coming here to Newcastle with the sort of the resources that we put behind the team for 15 years. But I think I totally, and I admit it, and on heart, I totally underestimated what was already here. So we had the most unbelievable employee base that had actually done like a, what their core values are, what it means to be Newcastle United before the takeover. And it's four words, but well, four words and an overarching theme, but hard work, discipline, passion, collaboration, and then family is the overall theme. And that's exactly the same as what Eddie's doing, building his team. So we've already got a club with a bedrock who knows exactly what it is to be Newcastle United. And you see Eddie do it. Eddie's doing it with players that were already there. He's galvanizing the squad and bringing them together. And it brings me on to, look, we've got to savour this moment that we've got the Champions League. That doesn't mean that we want to rest on our laurels. We're going to build for, for next year. But I think it's really important, as we're building that team, that we do bring in the right characters, the right people that fit there. Because we've all seen it with other football clubs where it's not just about the money you spend, it's about how you spend it. And the weekend's game is a perfect illustration of that. So I think you're in safe hands with Eddie and Dan in terms of knowing what it is we're looking for. And the reality is... We're always going to spend what we can under FFP. And that's the great thing. And I can say that to you hand on heart here. It will always be the club will be doing its best to get to where we want to get to. Um, but we've got to make sure we do it methodically in the right way that's sustainable. But I'm telling you, with Eddie Howe, it is unbelievable to see just what he does with the squad, the way he's galvanized them. And I think that's what is really important that we keep building with that in mind. But we've got a great pair of hands there with Eddie because he's just unbelievably good. So I think that was my annual review, just given in front of 250 people. Because <laughs> I think Darren's basically just saying, you better make the money, or else these, or else these guys are all going to be upset. No, um, Champions League is obviously incredible, um, putting this club back on the stage it deserves to be on. And the comment of earlier, is it Newcastle coming to Europe or um, Europe coming to Newcastle, which would be amazing. Um, but for me, for us, it's a realisation, and I think I said it to to one of the players after the Carabao Cup final, it's really difficult to keep up as a club, as a, any business, to keep up with one side of the business just going so fast, so hard, so high, so quickly, 
Um, we've got a lot of, to, back to the point, we will be in a better place next year as a club, no matter what, but that takes time. Um, and actually trying to catch up, you know, we've got to make sure we get the pricing right for Champions League and make sure that all the fans can enjoy themselves in, in Europe and how do we bring people with us and, and how do we bring sponsors on board to make sure we can to fuel it all. How do we bring, you know, the team here um, we've got commercially is tiny. Um, people have been doing five or six different roles. We need to make sure that's, that's built out, that's sustainable, um, both on people's workload and also for the future. So we've got a lot of catching up to do to make sure we're equipped for the Champions League off the pitch as well. But, you know, as I said to the, to the guys in the room before, it's definitely a lot nicer picking up the phone, having people ask you, well, what's available? How can we, you know, how can we engage with this great football club? Um, so a lot of work to do. Champions League is so exciting, but we've just got to keep up with it. Um, that's a great problem to have. I think Darren calls it champagne problem. Brilliant. Well, once again, I'd like to say thank you to you both for coming here and speaking to everyone. It's an immense privilege to host you and, it, you know, fan engagement, fan relationship with the club. This is it. This is, this is what I think everyone in this room has always wanted. Not, not only are you guys visible and present at games, we don't know who's in charge, who makes the decisions, who's driving the club forward. I'm just a massive privilege to host you both and thanks so much for coming. Cheers, guys. Thanks, thanks everyone. Thank you. Guys. Thank you. Okay, there's a, a 20 minute break now. We've gone massively over, of course we have. So we'll see you again in 20 minutes for the Q&A. If you make sure you get your questions down on paper, Charlotte will come and collect.